0: Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here with a heavy heart as the campfire has just made a mess of so many things. I've been experiencing new messages every day. I just had another one today from a brand new client I had just worked with a week ago, and they also lost their home completely in the campfire. My feelings and thoughts and prayers go out to everybody who's been damaged, hurt, uh, in trouble, having to move. It's just a terrible situation. What I wanted to do today was try to help out some people who might be going through that type of problem. I'm not an insurance expert. I'm actually in the process of uh, becoming one and learning a lot more about it. As of right now, though, I am not a licensed insurance person, but I want to share an article that I just found. My experience with catastrophic insurance problems is virtually nil. The closest I've come to having experience with large insurance claims would be the fact that my parents had a couple of damaged things in the Bay Area when I was younger and I do remember that they hired attorneys to help them with the insurance company. In other words, the insurance company might want to cut some corners. I do believe there's going to be a difference, though, between a catastrophic complete loss of a home, which really doesn't have too much arguing about things, I don't think, other than your limits and your dollar amounts and whether you have replacement cost or, or uh, replacement value or cost things like that, your policy is going to be very important right now. When you have a situation where part of your home is damaged and it needs to be repaired, that's where you're going to run into possible problems with your insurance company not wanting to spend what they should spend to get your home put back the way it was. In a case of a catastrophic one, I believe there'll be different problems. I was just trying to explain that the closest I've come personally to hearing about catastrophic claims is this, and I do know that my parents actually hired an attorney to be the go-between with the insurance company to make sure that all the proper repairs got done. That's all I know. I've got an article here. It's called Nine Tips for Filing Insurance Claims After a Catastrophe, and it's by a author named Bernice Ross, and I believe it's from September 18th of 2018. Now, some of this article does mention quite a bit about flooding because that's what the recent disasters have all mainly been the hurricane things until these California fires again. So I'm going to just skip over the part of this that talks about floods. We're not in a flood situation here. We're actually in a drought, I believe, so that's kind of the opposite. I'm just going to read some of this article because I think it will be helpful if you are just now starting the claims process. You've probably already talked to your insurance company. You might have already gotten a check to cover some uh, stay and some motel and some displacement uh, fees and things like that. But I'm just going to read some of this because it's, it's, there's some real good information here that I wasn't aware of before. Whether it's a hurricane like Florence, a tropical storm like Lane, or a flood, tornado, earthquake, or fire, it can take years to resolve a major insurance claim and restore your property. In 1994, I sustained over $100,000 of damage to my house from the Northridge earthquake. My insurance company gave me the runaround for three years until I hired a public insurance adjuster who finally got them to settle. If you're wondering what public insurance adjusters do... Scott Friedson, a public insurance adjuster (PA), and the CEO of Insurance Claim Recovery Support described it like this: Like your CPA who attends your IRS audit on your behalf, a good public insurance adjuster will be able to advo- Will be your advocate with the insurance company and will negotiate on your behalf to settle your insurance claim. A study by the Florida Legislature showed that those who worked with a PA to settle their claims received higher settlements than those who did not. Well, I'll step in here and just say, well, you got to be careful how much you paid the PA. If you're going to save if you're going to get 10,000 extra on your claim but it costs you 15,000 to do it, then that might not be the best solution. I have no idea what these people charge or how they charge it, but it, I would say it's definitely something you might look into because these insurance companies I do know that the insurance companies can all be a little different and some can be a little nicer than others when you're dealing with these kinds of large claims. I'm going to keep, uh, keep going here. Uh, let me see. The tips, uh, the first tip is be safe, and then they talk about how Houston, New Orleans, and Florida, um, mold develops in floods. That's probably not the issue with most of the people here in the campfire, with the campfire uh, disaster that just happened. Okay, here's where it gets uh, important here. Immediately notify the insurance company that you have a claim. By filing your claim right away, you are more likely to settle your claim quickly. I'm sure most of you who lost your home, if you're listening, you've probably already contacted your insurance people, so that's probably been done, but you do need to get that claim filed. I can tell you that I've got so many clients that have problems right now, even if you're not certain whether your home has been consumed by flame or not, you should still open up a claim. You don't want to wait until later. It's always better to do these things early rather than late. That's why you pay the insurance company in the first place. Now, this talks about flood insurance, and they mentioned that flood insurance is a separate type of insurance. I'm not going to go into that because we're talking fire mainly in this, in this disaster. Number three, establish the pre-loss and post-loss condition of your property. Ideally, you have already taken pictures and videos of every aspect of your home. If you haven't taken pictures, take them now and update them annually. Well, here's the situation with most of the clients that I've talked with. Their homes are totally gone, and there probably isn't anything salvageable. I think one of your main issues that you can start working on, part of your insurance, part of your insurance policy is not only to rebuild your home, but it's to replace your personal property, the non-real estate things that are gone. Examples of that would be your refrigerator, your washer and dryer, if they're not built in, all your furniture, all your clothing. Obviously, that I don't need to point that out to you, but what you need to do is start that list of exactly what you lost, and that's where the pictures come in. If you have good pictures or video walking through your home, you'll be reminded of things that you might have forgotten you even had. That list is going to be very important because you are going to get some kind of insurance reimbursement for all of the non-real estate, which is called personal property, all of the non-real estate in your home. Now, a vehicle, of course, will have its own policy that you'll have to make a claim for the vehicle. But something that's not a vehicle, I'm thinking something like a golf cart or anything that doesn't actually have its own insurance, you're going to have coverage in your personal property section of your policy. If you've got some spare time, if you're hanging around with uh, without being able to go back to work, maybe you're at a shelter and you do have some spare time, you probably should start the list of all the personal property. I'm sure your insurance person has already helped you with these lists. They've probably handed you some paperwork to start filling out. It's just really important and the reason is, if you think about it, you might not even remember some of the things that you put away in a drawer 10 years ago that you haven't really looked at, but you might have some family jewel. Now, jewelry is going to be a little different. It gets a different treatment from insurance, so you'll have to look at your own policy to see what type of personal property is covered. But I do believe you're going to be reimbursed for furniture, clothing, all the basics of living that you're going to have, would have been lost if you've lost your home to the fire. It's uh, The next part is, uh, number four, your policy requires you to mitigate damages. To mitigate damages means taking steps to prevent any further damage. For example, if there's a hole in your roof, you must have the roof tarped until you can have it repaired. Now this again is talking about a lot of flooding and water damage in this case, I would imagine, that I think the real problem here with this campfire issue going on is that the persons that may have lost their home, number one, they might not even know yet, and number two, you can't get back in to even look at it. There's no way you can mitigate anything right now, but if you've talked to your insurance people, I'm sure they've already told you what you can get, if you can get in advance to pay for hotel and food while you're away from your home. Uh, I'm sure that's what they're doing right now. The good news, this thing says, the good news is that most states require insurers to reimburse mitigation expenses within 30 days. Well, that would be good, but like I say, this isn't the case of a flood or a partially, partially damaged home. Most of the things that I've seen are fully fully damaged. They're either fully damaged or they're hardly damaged at all. That's what I've seen by watching the news the past few days. Five, what are the provisions for loss of use and displacement in your policy? If your home has major damage, you may be unable to live there while it is being repaired. Most insurance policies provide for living expenses, but these seldom last beyond one year. This often means the homeowner is in a race to finish repairs before living expense, money runs out. Again, if you don't per- didn't purchase flood insurance, you're not covered for flood-related living expenses. Again, uh, we're not talking about floods in this case, but I'm going to keep reading. When it comes time to hire a contractor, Freedson recommends only working with vetted local contractors who are willing to warrant their work. If you hire one of the transient contractors that show up after major disasters and there's an issue with their work, You have little or no recourse when they leave the area. That's a great point. If you do, the problem we're going to have, I believe, in this giant campfire disaster, how many contractors are going to be available that aren't transient? So I would say if you're working with someone who isn't an established local person, and I'll say those local people might be busy building their own, rebuilding their own homes, then you definitely need to make certain that the person that you're going to hire is fully licensed and has a track record, et cetera, et cetera, at the minimum. When it comes, uh, let me see. Examine your policy. Do you have cash or replacement value? Regardless of whether your home is damaged or not, check your current insurance policy to determine if you have cash or replacement value when you have a claim. A cash value policy only pays on the depreciated value of your property. A replacement value policy provides you with the full cost of replacement and is definitely the best choice. If you don't have replacement value coverage, it's smart to add it now. And here's why: If you have a 20-year-old roof that is five years old, and you have a 20-year roof that is five years old, and you have a cash value policy, your roof would have depreciated 25 percent. If you had to replace the roof, you would only receive 75% of the replacement cost. If you have replacement value, the deductible is your only cost. Also, any settlement check you receive will be made out to you and to your mortgage lender. The lender will visit the property to verify the work has been completed before they countersign the check. Avoid lawsuits. If you file a lawsuit, your attorney will be working on a contingency basis while the insurance company attorneys bill hourly. In other words, the insurance attorneys have no incentive to settle because the longer they drag out the process, the more money they make. Their goal is to wear you down with depositions, examinations, and constant delays. The bottom line, go the PA route first. That's that public insurance adjuster route first. And only litigate when there is no other option. Okay, here's an interesting thing. Cost of hiring a PA. State regulations determine the fees PAs can charge. I'm coming up on that first break real soon. So we're going to continue with this also uh, after the break. State regulations determine the fees PAs can charge. In most states, the maximum is 10% of the entire claim. If the homeowner has been partially reimbursed before hiring the PA, the PA can charge a higher percentage, but it can never exceed 10% of the total claim. Well that's interesting. 10%, that's quite a bit of money. If you're talking about a $300,000 rebuild, uh, that could be quite quite expensive to hire one of these PAs. So you would have to decide am I in a position to pretty much be sure that by hiring this person I'm going to get 30,000 more than I would otherwise? That'd be that'd be kind of a tough call. And I'm not sure I'm not sure how that would work, so we'll have to just see on a case-by-case basis what's what's the smart way to go on that one. Well, that's our first break. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back with some more insurance goodies. And I hope you're safe after that terrible disaster. We've got a i will Be right back. America's Best Value Inn of Oroville. Ask everyone to get involved in our community this holiday season. Whether it's a toy for a needy child, care packages for military members, or giving the gift of life by giving blood, you can make a difference and directly affect someone's life. This message from America's Best Value Inn at 580 Oro Dam Boulevard, east in Oroville. Give them a call at 533-7070. That's 533-7070. They're wishing everyone a happy holiday season. Hi, this is James McDonald. And you know, I didn't just stumble into Christian radio. Actually, I was personally impacted and had my life changed by Christian radio as a young man. And I bet the same has happened for you. Take a moment to contact your station right now. Let them know how their ministry has impacted your life. And might I suggest a gift a financial contribution to help them continue and their passionate commitment to get God's word to you. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free. Those held hostage behind the Iron Curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Here after the, well, during the campfire, because it's not over yet. Last night I believe it was 30% contained, but then I also heard that it may be until November 30th until it's fully contained. So there's still danger. Everybody, just like the sheriff says on those meetings they have on the TV, Stay alert and don't be complacent. You never know what can happen with a fire and a wind, wind coming up and all that. It's just uh, always dangerous until it's completely over. I'm going to continue with this article about catastrophic insurance losses because I'm sure a lot of you are involved in this right now. The next one, I just talked about cost of hiring a PA. It can't be more than 10% of the claim. Then it says number 9 this is the last part of the article avoid bad apples as in any profession there are good and bad apples to avoid hiring the wrong PA here's what to do ask the PA whether he or she ever does work for an insurance company if the answer is yes hire someone else who doesn't have a conflict of interest I was going to guess that answer because yeah you just it's it's kind of like whenever i meet somebody who's doing income tax work and they used to work for the IRS my first thought is, oh, well, that's really good. They might have some insight as to how the IRS works. But then I think, and it's like, do I really want to go to somebody who used to do that? So that's just my own personal opinion. It's sort of like, well, I have mixed emotions when I hear about tax helpers who used to work for the IRS. Something about that bothers me. Okay, so I'll keep going about this uh public insurance adjuster. Interview at least three PAs and ask for references. That's a public insurance adjuster. Ask the PA how long the process takes. Ask what is the average length of his or her files, number of pages. Some PAs do little or nothing because they're setting the homeowner up to be referred to an attorney. Aha. Also inquire about what percentage of his or her cases are settled versus what percentage go to litigation or appraisal, a process that Friedson recommends that homeowners avoid. A major insurance loss means your life will be disrupted for many months to come. Friedson advises to give your insurance company a chance to do the right thing. Most companies will try their best to do so, but if it's not happening, consider hiring a public insurance adjuster to get the settlement you deserve. So that's the end of that article, and I found it, uh, I'm not sure of the website, but if you look up, if you wanted to read this whole article, I've read most of it for you here. Nine Tips for Filing Insurance Claims After a Catastrophe. And this is, you know, it's definitely different when you're, if your home is completely, completely gone from a fire. It's just a little different than arguing over which walls should be replaced and things like that in a partial, in a partial, partial loss. Well, the last five days or so has been totally consumed. I hate to use that word. It's been totally taken up by this campfire, and I imagine the next couple weeks are going to be much, much of the same. I know students are pretty much not going back to school with this bad air quality, so it'll be a little bit, uh, everything's going to be off for another couple of weeks, and it's just going to be different. The air quality is still bad. It's definitely not as bad as it was a few days ago, but I think it depends on which way the wind blows, and it's still still not good. So try to be safe, and I would say that you've probably heard all the warnings, but definitely stay inside if you don't have to be outside. Well, that's about as much help as I can give you on this campfire right now. Tax-wise, there's two types of losses. First, you have a loss, but most of you have insurance that's going to cover most of the loss other than a deductible. That, for tax purposes, a casualty loss is only the uninsured portion. Number one, for a casualty, you have to make a claim if you do have insurance, which I'm sure you're doing. So don't skip going to the insurance thinking you'll save taxes, And you're only going to be able to list the amount that's uninsured, and that could just be your deductible amount when it's all said and done if the insurance company takes good care of you. Here's the twist. The new 2018 tax law virtually eliminated casualty losses from being deducted on a personal casualty, which your home is a personal casualty loss in the tax words. They eliminated casualty losses completely unless it's in a federally declared disaster area. I was looking that up yesterday just to see, and I don't believe the Camp Fire Butte County has been declared federally em- a federal emergency area. I'm pretty sure it will be. But from my lookup yesterday, I don't see that it's actually been declared a federal disaster area. Once that happens, if you you are somebody who might have an uninsured loss, in other words, you may have a, a place without a mortgage and you decided not to insure it or the insurance companies were making it so expensive you didn't insure it, if that happens, then you may have an uninsured loss and it'll be totally critical for tax purposes that this is designated as a federal, uh, a federal disaster area. That's going to be a key because the new tax law allows zero deduction for a cata for a disaster that isn't in a federally declared area. Of course, the new tax law being so new, it hasn't been tested and tried and true with court cases yet, but that. Part of it that I have read about is pretty cut and dried. There's no more casualties unless it's in a federally declared uh, uh, catastrophic area, whatever they call those. Well, I won't belabor this. You've probably heard 90% of what I've already told you. I think it's interesting about the public insurance adjuster. I think that's a good route to go if you feel like your insurance company is working against you. You may not want to just hire an attorney right away, but some attorneys are probably acting as PAs, and that's probably the one I mentioned before when I was younger, and my parents had an insurance claim, that was probably an attorney who was a PA. So I'm going to move along. It's business buzz. Uh, business goes on. I'm busy with the usual year end. We got the year end work coming. We got a new tax season coming. The whole new tax law is going to make it very interesting for next year. Business goes on. I noticed that the District Attorney Mike Ramsey came out and announced that they won't tolerate price gouging. I didn't know this law until I heard it on the news. You cannot raise prices over 10% after a local disaster. I don't know if that's a state law or a city or countywide. I'm not sure, but... In other words, if a hotel owner that usually charges 100 a night all of a sudden makes it 200 a night after the fire, that is a crime from what I can understand. So watch out for people charging more than 10% over what they should be charging. I haven't heard of anything like that. Well, I would say the gas I've been getting is at least 10% over what they should be charging, but that's probably not gouging, that's probably just the fact that even though oil is going down in price, gas doesn't seem to come down very fast. It's pretty depressing to fill up your tank for three seventy nine a gallon if you have a large tank. But I won't belabor that point. I am going to talk to you about an article from Thursday, November 8th. That was the fire day in Paradise, unfortunately. But this is around the world, and guess what? The Bank of England refuses to release Venezuela's gold. Well, wouldn't you know? What a a surprise. I could have told Maduro that. So I'm just going to read this short article. Three days ago when we reported, and this is from Zero Hedge, my favorite news feed service. Three days ago when we reported that following Trump's latest sanctions targeting Venezuela's gold sector, President Maduro was seeking to repatriate all of Venezuela's gold, some 14 tons held at the Bank of England. Oh, we're coming up on that bottom-of-the-hour break. I'll be right back to talk more about Venezuela's gold and the fact that they ain't getting it back. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. greatest and most difficult task is prayer. It always has been. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is hard. Prayer can be a blessing, especially in the comfort of others. Sometimes you don't even feel like praying. Sometimes the pain is so awful, you don't know what to say. David Hawking shares why we need prayer, especially when we don't want to pray. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. The Journey with Annie Meadows. Honest, thought-provoking, The Journey is a half-hour program airing every week. Listen as Annie shares from her heart and life experiences with the belief that you can be free, you can be better, and you can take courage. Join us for The Journey with Annie Meadows, weekends at 1230, here on KKXX. retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Long-range missile reportedly fired this morning by Iran. 47,000 acres burned. The The news lets you know what's going on in the world. But a few things you should know about most news outlets. They don't make money if they don't get good ratings. And they all know that bad news gets good ratings. A violent terror attack outside the So the more they inflate the bad news, the more gripping a story can seem. Turn off all that bad news and tune in here. We have a positive approach to life and always good news. Listen here. You found Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. To business Buzz, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I was just uh, beginning to read a little article about Venezuela's gold. I'm always a, a big fan of gold. Oh, and I also wanted to mention, if you if you took my advice and bought a little bit of gold to diversify your portfolio and insure your money, you could have put those into your go bag, and you would have them with you when you leave your house. Now, that that does bring up the fact that Having your having part of your money, that's why you don't want to have all of your money in precious metals, but you would have want to have part as money insurance, like I've told you before. But that is one of the advantages. You could have had 10 or 15 ounces of gold in a little tube, and that could have easily fit in your go bag for your emergency when the fire started. And, uh, I mean, some people didn't have time to grab anything. I understand that, and uh, I don't want to make light of anything, but it is a way to preserve wealth and to ensure your money and having some on hand is not a bad idea so i'm going to continue maduro was seeking to repatriate all of venezuela's gold some fourteen tons held at the bank of england we cautioned that since the bank of england quote sought to clarify what venezuela wants to do with the gold this suggested that despite venezuela being the rightful owner of this gold Venezuela was about to face challenges in getting it back. Today, the worst case for Venezuela's president was confirmed when The Times reported that the Bank of England has refused to release the gold bars worth just over $550 million to President Nicolas Maduro. According to The Times, the reason the Bank of England has refused to release is due to its insistence that standard measures to prevent money laundering be taken, including clarification of the Venezuelan government's intentions for the gold. Now let's stop a minute and just think about that. If you own something, what right does the person that's supposed to be holding it for you as a service, what right do they have to ask your intention when you want it back? Well, that's exactly what happens in the post-9-11 post world, I'm afraid. There are concerns that Mr. Maduro may seize the gold, which is owned by the state, and sell it for personal gain, the newspaper said. Separately, as we reported on Monday, an official to- told Reuters that the repatriation plan has been held up for nearly two months due to difficulty in obtaining insurance for the shipment, needed to move a large gold cargo, They are still trying to find insurance coverage because the costs are high, an official told Reuters. As we reported on Monday, Venezuela's gold located at the Bank of England was previously used as collateral until last year, backing loans up to several billion dollars from global banks. Maduro is not the first to attempt to repatriate the country's gold. Venezuela's late socialist leader Hugo Chavez, sensing which way the wind is blowing, and citing the need for Venezuela to have physical control of central bank assets, in 2011 repatriated around 160 tons of gold from banks in the United States and Europe to the central bank in Caracas. But some of Venezuela's gold remained in the Bank of England. Starting in 2014, Venezuela used this gold for swap operations, in which global banks lent Venezuela several billion dollars with the gold as collateral. Meanwhile, as shown in the chart above, Venezuelan central bank statistics show the central bank's gold holdings by June this year had dropped to 160 tons from 364 tons. So I won't belabor the rest of this. It's just the idea that even countries, if they have gold, somebody else wants that gold and they do not want to go- let go of it. They don't want to give it back, period. Period. That's the story of gold. When you think about it, gold has been money for thousands of years, but there, isn't, there just isn't enough to go around. If, if everybody decides they want an ounce of gold, there won't be anywhere near an ounce of gold for everybody to own. It just it not there. Now, you may ask, well, where is the gold going? okay. Uh, my next article answers that question. In fact, the title of the next article I'm going to look at is called Where Is All the Gold Going? And this is from goldswitzerland.com. I have to give credit where when I to re- when I want to read something on air, I have to say where it came from. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a terrible cold today. Where the gold is going is certainly no secret. While the West has not got a clue of the strategic significance of physical gold, excuse me, I'm back. While the West has not got a clue of the strategic significance of physical gold, the East's accumulation of the yellow metal continues unabated. Since 2008 just China and India have accumulated 26,000 tons of gold. That is a remarkable figure and virtually the total mine production for that period. Now, think about what that just said. Two countries in the world have bought up the entire world's gold mine production since in the last 10 years. Let's let that sink in for a minute. I'll continue. There are many other eastern countries which also continue to buy major quantities of gold, such as Russia, Turkey, Iran, and Thailand. For decades, most western central banks have been reducing their holdings either by official selling, leasing, or covertly disposing of their gold. The top 20 central bank holders of gold have officially a total of 29,000 tons, but it is doubtful that they even hold as much as 50% of that In physical form. That's kind of scary. This article goes on, No central bank publishes a physical gold audit. The U.S., for example, haven't had a physical full audit since Eisenhower's time in the 1950s. Therefore, it is impossible to ascertain what the true holding is but it would be surprising if the U.S. actually had half of the 8,100 tons in an unencumbered physical form. If they haven't sold it covertly, they have most likely leased a major percentage to the market through the bullion banks. That gold no longer stays in London and New York, but is bought by China and India and shipped to those countries via Switzerland. The bullion banks then issue an IOU to the central banks which is only backed by paper, since the physical will never return from Asia. In the next section here, Central Bank Gold coming out of London and New York. Last month, Switzerland imported 92 tons of gold from the UK. We know, of course, that the UK, which is England, is not a gold-producing country, so these are 400-ounce bars from English bullion banks that are bought by Swiss refiners to break down into 1-kilogram bars and shipped to China and India. The majority of the 33 tons that came from the U.S. in September is also 400-ounce bars from the U.S. bullion banks. Most of this English and U.S. gold is likely to come from central banks. As regards the International Monetary Fund 2,800 tons, a major part of that is probably double-counted with the U.S. and other central bank gold. Germany has repatriated some of their 3,400 tons of gold, but 50% is still held abroad, with 1,250 tons in New York and 440 tons in London. Most of the German gold officially held in London and New York has most likely found its way to China and India, too. So not only does the COMEX, which is the commodities exchange, not even hold 1/100th of physical to back its paper gold, but the bullion banks are in the same boat. And this is a boat full of worthless paper gold that will soon sink as the market discovers that there is a massive shortage of physical gold. At that point, it will be impossible to get a market price for gold as it will go, quote, no offer, which means that there is no gold offered at any price due to no availability of physical gold. So that is just a quick summary of the problems with the physical gold market. And when you realize that in the last 10 years, two countries alone, India and China, have imported the entire amount of the world's gold mine production, that means that whatever gold was sitting in reserves, which is probably completely being lied about when you read about what the gold reserves really are, that means that gold reserves in the last 10 years have probably been dwindled down to near near nothing now i personally hope that this game and this shell game and this con game and this fake fake market game doesn't end too soon because i want to have a chance to accumulate more gold before it's too late because once this thing hits you will not like this article just said you will not be able to buy an ounce of gold because it'll be so expensive it just won't it just won't work because there won't be any sellers that's the whole the whole point is there won't be any sellers now moving along we're coming up on that uh, final break of the hour uh, to the quarter hour and' It's just been such a hectic, heavy last few days with this campfire disaster. It's really weighed on everybody's, it's weighed on everybody. And I wanted to share today a little bit of my favorite book, which I like to share at the end of the show, Course in Miracles. And I'm in Chapter 9, and the title of Chapter 9 is The Acceptance of the Atonement, and Part 2 of chapter 9 is called The Answer to Prayer because a lot of people wonder well what happens with when you pray how does that how does that all work and the course has some very interesting takes on how uh, prayer works so I wanted to share that with you today because these days with all the disaster going on around us everybody needs some help everybody now is realizing that the physical world is very fleeting and it can be here today and gone the next literally And that's what people are finding out. Remember, my entire dissertation on this course, I'll get back to that right after this final break. We'll have one more segment I can fill you in a little bit on prayer and what it means as far as the course goes. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. The city of DuPierre, Wisconsin, enacted an ordinance to purportedly reduce discrimination. Well, it imposed requirements on hiring, firing, facility use, and even advertising. Folks, these restrictions even apply to churches and religious organizations with limited exceptions. In practice, this ordinance favors the LGBT community, and could mandate Christian organizations to engage in business practices that are in direct opposition to their biblical beliefs. Pacific Justice Institute is in court proceedings representing five churches and a Christian radio station to preserve their religious liberty. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. welcome back to business buzz i'm harold littlejohn cpa i'm glad you have time to spend with me this afternoon it's been a bad bad past few days in butte county i hope everybody's Staying safe and getting safe and, but what I was saying is that the the basis of the course is that there's two, there's basically two sides to your mind and most of the problems you have are called level confusion. One of the things I noticed, I was watching the TV news about the campfire problems and They had some children from Paradise who, I think it was Paradise Middle School, were down in Chico playing basketball and getting together with each other after not seeing their friends for three or four days. And what struck me was the fact that almost all the kids even, and they're not that old, they're probably 12 or 13, even they said it's not the physical stuff that matters, it's the other things that matter. And that points me right back to the course. We have two minds. We have the physical world, and then we have the spiritual side, which is the level above that. If you can remember that problems here are mainly because you're, you're having what's called a level confusion. If you realize that at the spiritual level there are no problems, then the problems that you have here on the uh, physical world They just seem to be a little less. They worry you less. And really, when you worry less, it actually makes them easier to overcome and to solve. And some of them go away by themselves when you've mentally taken care of that. And I'm just going to read some of this part of Chapter 9 of The Course in Miracles, Part 2, The Answer to Prayer, because I'm sure a lot of people have been praying for people, all the missing, there's 200 and something missing persons with the county uh, registration registration there it's just a mess. So I'm going to read this section and hopefully it'll give you a little help too. Everyone who ever tried to use prayer to ask for something has experienced what appears to be failure. This is not only true in connection with specific things that might be harmful but also connection with requests that are strictly in line with this course. The latter in particular might be incorrectly interpreted as proof that the course does not mean what it says. You must remember, however, that the Course states and repeatedly that its purpose is the escape from fear. Let us suppose, then, that what you ask of the Holy Spirit is what you really want, but you are still afraid of it. Should this be the case, your attainment of it would no longer be what you want. This is why certain specific forms of healing are not achieved, even when the state of healing is, An individual may ask for physical healing because he is fearful of bodily harm. At the same time, if he were healed physically, the threat to his thought system might be considerably more fearful to him than its physical expression. In this case, he is not really asking for release from fear, but for the removal of a symptom that he himself selected. This request is therefore not for healing at all. The Bible emphasizes that all prayer is answered, and this is indeed true. The very fact that the Holy Spirit has been asked for anything will ensure a response. Yet it is equally certain that no response given by Him will ever be one that would increase fear. It is possible that His answer will not be heard. It is impossible, however, that it will be lost. There are many answers you have already received but have not yet heard. I assure you that they are waiting for you. If you would know your prayers are answered, never doubt a son of God. Do not question him and do not confound him, for your faith in him is your faith in yourself. If you would know God and his answer, believe in me whose faith in you cannot be shaken, whose faith in you cannot be shaken. Can you ask of the Holy Spirit truly and doubt your brother? Believe his words are true because of the truth that is in him. You will unite with the truth in him and his words will be true. As you hear him, you will hear me. Listening to truth is the only way you can hear it now and finally know it. The message your brother gives you is up to you. What does he say to you? What would you have him say? Your decision about him determines the message you receive. Remember that the Holy Spirit is in him and his voice speaks to you through him. What can so holy a brother tell you except truth? But are you listening to it? Your brother may not know who he is, but there is a light in his mind that does know. This light can shine into yours, giving truth to his words and making you able to hear them. His words are the Holy Spirit's answer to you. Is your faith in Him strong enough to let you hear? You can no more pray for yourself alone than you can find joy for yourself alone. Prayer is the restatement of inclusion, directed by the Holy Spirit under the laws of God. Salvation is of your brother. The Holy Spirit extends from your mind to His and answers you. You cannot hear the voice of God in yourself alone because you are not alone. And his answer is only for what you are. You will not know the trust I have in you unless you extend it. You will not trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit or believe that it is for you unless you hear it in others. It must be for your brother because it is for you. Would God have created a voice for you alone? Could you hear his answer except as he answers all of God's sons? Hear of your brother what you would have me hear of you, for you would not want me to be deceived. I love you for the truth in you as God does. Your deceptions may deceive you, but they cannot deceive me. Knowing what you are, I cannot doubt you. I hear only the Holy Spirit in you, who speaks to me through you. If you would hear me, hear my brothers in whom God's voice speaks. The answer to all prayers lies in them. You will be answered as you hear the answer in everyone. Do not listen to anything else or you will not hear truly. Believe in your brothers because I believe in you and you will learn that my belief in you is justified. Believe in me by believing in them. I'm sorry, believe in me by believing in them for the sake of what God gave them. They will answer you if you learn to ask only truth of them. Do not ask for blessings without blessing them, for only in this way can you learn how blessed you are. By following this way you are seeking the truth in you. This is not going beyond yourself but toward yourself. Hear only God's answer in his son's, and you are answered. To disbelieve is to side against or to attack. To believe is to accept and decide with. To believe is not to be credulous, but to accept and appreciate. What you do not believe, you do not appreciate, and you cannot be grateful for what you do not value. There is a price you will pay for judgment, because judgment is the setting of a price. And as you set it, you will pay it. If paying is equated with getting, you will set the price low, but demand a high return. You will have forgotten, however, that to price is to value, so that your return is in proportion to your judgment of worth. If paying is associated with giving, it cannot be perceived as loss, and the reciprocal relationship of giving and receiving will be recognized. The price will then be set high because of the value of the return. The price for getting is to lose sight of value making it inevitable that you will not value what you receive. Valuing it little, you will not appreciate it, and you will not want it. Never forget, then, that you set the value on what you receive and price it by what you give. To believe that it is possible to get much for little is to believe that you can bargain with God. God's laws are always fair and perfectly consistent. By giving, you receive. But to receive is to accept, not to get. It is impossible not to have, but it is possible not to know you have. The recognition of having is the willingness for giving, and only by this willingness can you recognize what you have. What you give is therefore the value you put on what you have, being the exact measure of the value you put upon it. And this in turn is the measure of how much you want it. You can ask of the Holy Spirit then only by giving to Him, and you can give to Him only where you recognize Him. If you recognize Him in everyone, consider how much you will be asking of Him and how much you will receive. He will deny you nothing because you have denied Him nothing, and so you can share everything. This is the way and the only way to have His answer, because His answer is all you can ask for and want. Say then to everyone, because I will to know myself, I see you as God's son and my brother. Well, that was that part of the book I have listened to on my audio tapes over and over, and it's always been a little bit confusing. But I think the main point to get out of that is the more you can see yourself in who you're talking to, the more you will realize that giving is receiving. And that's another thing about level confusion. If you only think about the world's physical level, none of these things make sense. In the world's level, giving is not receiving. Giving is the opposite of receiving. That's where I was talking about level confusion. The easiest way to do this, and if you want to make a practice out of it, it's hard to remember to do it because during your day, of course, you'll have all kinds of obstacles and Problems pop up and obnoxious people that you really don't want to talk to. The real best way to do this, and I've done this myself, it's just hard to remember to do it, is the biggest problem. Is Whenever you're talking with someone, like this chapter is talking about a prayer, whenever you're talking with someone, just pretend you're talking with yourself or pretend you're talking to a part of yourself. It's kind of like the way you treat your own children differently than everyone else. You think of them as part of you, so you want to give them everything. You want to leave everything to them. You want them to be happy. You want to help them. Well, once you start thinking about everyone in that same way as if it was a child or something that you really, really care about and want to help, that's where this whole thing comes into play. The world's rules don't apply on both levels. I'm also thinking about the old saying, the lion will lie down with the lamb. That doesn't make sense on the world's level, obviously. And I always remember the Woody Allen quote, the lion will lie down with the lamb, but the lamb won't get much sleep. On the world's level, the lion won't lie down with the lamb. The lion will maybe eat the lamb. But on the other level, we're, we're above and we're looking. In fact, there's one part of the course is called Above the Battleground. It basically tries to get you to raise your, raise your consciousness up to that level behind where you're watching, like I've said before, where you're watching your thoughts and also where you're watching yourself go through your day. And if you can stay above the battleground and be an observer... You'll see that these problems and the things you think you're mixed up in, I mean, obviously some are terrible. Here we have a fire that destroyed, they say 6,400 homes. I have a hard time believing it's not a lot more than that, but I don't know. Obviously on the world's level, this is terrible tragedy. It's horrible to look at. It's awful, but you can get some relief from that even though you're suffering by stepping back in your mind and observing yourself go around your business right now watch it as if you're watching yourself in a movie and even maybe put Jesus or the Holy Spirit next to you eating popcorn and think of it that way and you'll immediately feel a little bit of a lightness because things aren't so heavy when you're watching them in other words you're from that you're from the level above observing and you've taken yourself out of the mayhem or the misery or the upsetness or the suffering that you're in right now, that is the secret to at least starting on this path to taking, being less, it sounds crass, or, or it, sounds, it sounds weird, but you got to be less serious. This is not, and, and like I say, it's not the end of the world, it seems like the end of the world when your house and everything in it's gone. And you... Well, that's all I have for today. I hope next time on Business Buzz we'll be a little further along in this disaster process. I hope I've helped you with some insurance ideas, some gold ideas, and some course ideas. So hang in there. I'll see you next time. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Bye-bye. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL, Chico. And K283AR. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Santa Ana winds continue to push Southern California's Woolsey Fire. Los Angeles County Fire Chief Darrell Aspey says they expect the number of structures destroyed by the wildfire will be higher than the hundreds counted so far. And the footprint of this fire, there's approximately 57,000 structures. Unfortunately, today, as our burn assessment teams are doing their assessment, they have identified 435 structures uh, that are destroyed. They're walking many canyons by foot. In Northern California, Cal Fire Battalion Chief Matt Wallen says even though the firefighters are worried about their own homes and property, they have a job to do. This is what we do. It's hard to just see it, you know, to to stand by in your own community and not knowing you have the skill sets to... uh, mitigate it for other neighborhoods that are still threatened and not do anything about it. Fire officials say crews have made a lot of progress. The firefighters on foot and in bulldozers are working south of the town of Paradox,